The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. Netflix blows away expectations, signing up more than 15 million subscribers in the first quarter. But the stock pairs gains in after hours as the streaming company warns the pandemic-related boost will wane. Our guess is that subs will be light in Q3, Q4 relative to prior years because of that. Um, but, you know, we don't use the, the words guess and guesswork lightly. We use them because, you know, it's a bunch of us, you know, feeling the wind. Caring gets dressed down in the first quarter, with Gucci sales falling more than 23%. The French luxury giant also warns it is not confident about a rebound in China. Asian equities see red after Wall Street marks its worst session since the start of the month, with the oil plunge sparking extra caution around risk assets. In the oil markets, Brent and WTI both hit by a fresh wave of heavy selling. Both June futures contracts are trading sharply lower, Brent being forced even further below the $20 a barrel level. And the U.S. Senate passes a new $500 billion rescue package aimed to help hospitals, small businesses and testing. I cannot tell people go out on the streets unless there's adequate testing. Or the fear is that Corona will come back doubly as hard as it came the first time. We are still waiting through earnings season here in Europe and important updates from a number of companies. Roche, the latest to report, this is the pharma giant that is pressing ahead with an antibody test. It is hoping to launch that and make it available in the next month or so. The company has confirmed its outlook for 2020 and that's unusual in this current environment where a number of companies are wary about guidance and about hitting previously announced targets. It says based on its current assessment of COVID-19 impact sales are expected to grow in the low to mid single digit range at constant exchange rates. It uh, has uh, printed uh, for the first quarter sales uh, an increase of 7% to 15.1 billion Swissy. The uh, first quarter 2% growth in Swiss francs, 7% at constant exchange rates. The uh, group sales increased 2% in Swiss francs. Uh, the company also uh, breaking down by divisions and pharmaceuticals. That division has grown by 7%, led by a couple of key drugs, including Tracentric. And uh, the company also going on to talk about its diagnostics division. That was up 5%. Uh, molecular testing, a main contributor. The company uh, also talking about its core earnings per share. They are targeted to grow broadly aligned with sales. The constant exchange rates are Roche expecting to increase its dividend in Swiss francs further. So again, more comments in contrast to what you're hearing more broadly from corporates uh, on the dividend front that's even paying a dividend and the fact it's talking about trying to increase that dividend further. The uh, company is also talking about what is in the pipeline Important approvals in the first quarter in China around that uh, key drug, uh, drug to Centrix. It's uh, 
first-line combination therapy of extensive stage small cell lung cancer. So it is pressing ahead with those approvals. Also in the United States, uh, Syntrec, one of its other drugs, uh, the uh, company is looking at uh, testing there as well. And this is around cervical cancer screening. The uh, company is also moving ahead with another trial in the first quarter. So again, key updates at this time in Europe, uh, Polyvy. This is in combination with uh, some other tests for adult patients with a special form of B-cell lymphoma. So uh, across the drug portfolio, the company's clinical trials continue and it's uh, confirmed its outlook, which is the main takeaway. Meantime, Netflix has posted a better-than-expected jump in paid global subscriptions in the first quarter as the streaming giant got a boost from viewers uh, forced to stay home due to coronavirus lockdowns. The company, known for its popular shows like Tiger King and Money Heist, gained 15.8 million paying customers during the period. That was uh, double estimates. However, earnings per share just missed forecasts and Netflix also warned of further pressure later in the year, particularly due to its content pipeline shares paid gains after an initial spike and after hours trade. While speaking during an earnings call with investors, CEO Reed Hastings added that the short-term outlook for the company remains uncertain. Our guess is that subs will be light in Q3 and Q4 relative to prior years because of that. Um, but, you know, we don't use the, the words guess and guesswork lightly. We use them because, you know, it's a bunch of us, you know, feeling the wind and you know, it's hard to say, uh, but again, will internet entertainment be more and more important over the next five years? Nothing's changed in that. Tony Gunnison joins us, Principal Analyst at OMDR. I want to get into what we just heard from Netflix, this guesswork, effectively the company giving analysts some numbers because they're expecting to hear what lies down the track. But if you break it down from this big spike in subscriber numbers to 15.7 million versus 8.2 million expected, and then is expected to drop to about 7.5 in the second quarter and then reduce again by the third quarter. What do you make of the subscriber trajectory, which is very key to Netflix? Hello, Ray. Good morning. Yeah, so clearly, I mean, the main story has been uh, the global pandemic here. That that means, you know, th this very impressive uh, results. It, it's a temporary spike. Uh, they hadn't they expected this type of uh, increase to happen. Uh, now, clearly, we know that, uh, you know, people are forced to work from home, stay at home, social distancing and all the rest of it. And, uh, you know, we, we saw quite early on that this has led to huge increases in viewer times across all major TV and video platforms. And, you know, Netflix is the biggest in the world. Uh, so, uh, Tony, uh, just checking if I've still got you there, but I'll just uh, pitch a question to you because I want to ask you about what happens from here because clearly some positive with that huge spike and investors wanted to see subscribers rally, not just viewership because the company's very much around the subscriber model. But what we've heard, there is no way this company can raise prices, doesn't have an advertising model. And also we start to run up against some tough comparables by the th third quarter where last year it had launched uh, some, some popular new series. So it's going to be hard for the company to get any better from here, isn't it? Uh, no, I think Netflix is doing really, really good. You know, for most of the 2010s, they have been dominating online video. Yes, there are new services coming in, but, you know, they, they are largely complementary. Uh, we know that Netflix subscribers also subscribe to Amazon. Uh, that's been, you know, last few years with you know, a huge overlap between 
people subscribe to one serv- uh, service versus another. With Disney Plus coming in, you know, it's not one or another. Uh, we we don't see any video service in the world being mutually exclusive. They're all, uh, you know, increases in viewership, which comes through online video, through on-demand, is benefiting all of them. So people uh, are buying multiple services, uh, creating their self-bundles of entertainment. So, no, I, th- I think, yes, it's true that Netflix is... Uh, has reached a plateau at home domestically in the U.S., but that's because they're running out of new fresh households to sell to. But internationally, the story is quite different. Internationally, Netflix has, you know, huge, huge uh, growth potential. Uh, Of course, it's been around in Latin America and Western Europe for, you know, much of the 2010s, but elsewhere in Asia. Asia is a huge growth area for Netflix, and you know, I, I, I don't, I don't see uh, them struggling to to find new households to sell to for you know for the foreseeable future. Tony, one of the challenges, though, uh, and there are many here, obviously, which is why Reed Hastings used this term guesswork in the statement, which I thought was extraordinary. But one of the challenges, of course, is that they need to keep delivering the fresh content here. And one of the byproducts of coronavirus has been a suspension or a lockdown of production. Now, we've seen uh, the Tiger King has been fantastically successful and they need to keep these new franchises rolling to what extent do you think they're going to be troubled by the impact of coronavirus on production levels i don't think it's gonna impact on netflix greatly uh i mean yeah of course they they try to come up uh give a positive spin saying that they're not not expecting to run out of content or new content for you know rest of the year and so on but have to bear in mind that Netflix is a generalist service. They uh, aim to have something for everyone. Uh, you know, they have thousands of titles in their, in their vast cat, uh, catalog uh, across movies and, and, and series. And, you know, there, there's so much more that they can do to curate content. You know, bear in mind that they're producing original series uh, in virtually every uh, if not every country, certainly every region of the world. Uh, and what they can do is they can uh, circulate the type of content that you see on the first page, uh, you know, get really creative with that and uh, encourage people to watch uh, things that they haven't. Bear in mind that these online video services are all based on big data analysis and they can see who has watched what. And, uh, you know, so they can give the impression of, ever-changing new fresh content on the page. I mean, just for myself, I've already got a number of notifications this week about new uh, pieces of uh, content to watch on Netflix. And, yeah. Tony, yeah, um, got the point there. Um, Look, normally we talk about winners and losers in this space because, of course, the world, as as you and Jeff and Karen have pointed out, has been turned upside down. And, of course, I'm very conscious in asking this question that I'm an employee of Comcast ultimately as well. But what about the the cable providers as well? Of course, they've been seen as losing out to the streamers as well. But can they benefit in these periods as well? Or actually, is it still the streamers do well uh, and the the cord cutting continues? So... I don't necessarily see the global pandemic causing uh, you know, a lot of people changing 
services necessarily. We've seen huge increases across all platforms. Okay, bear in mind that the, you know we'll come to a, a near total or a total end of live sports, which of course is going to uh, be bad news for pay TV overall. But we see, we see households with pay TV are watching more pay TV. Households that have Netflix watch more Netflix. Uh, but of course, yes, I mean, no one had expected such a huge increase in, in Netflix numbers. Uh, and, you know, I take that as a, as a good sign of how other streaming services are doing. Actually, I'd say the surprise isn't that Netflix did well, uh, but rather that, uh, you know, uh, other services are going to have done really, really uh, amazing this quarter as well. So, of course, that's, you know, that, that will have an impact on pay TV. Uh, streaming services are much, much cheaper after all. Tony, but does the market need to change its expectations then? Because I think coming up to some of the launches, many had thought, well, the incumbents probably can't do this as well as some of the big tech names. And that shout out uh, for Disney from uh, Netflix yesterday from Reed Hastings, where he's saying, well, you know, effectively well done. He praised the execution. Doesn't that mean that there is a worry about market share being taken during this crisis as more people are at home and they're willing to take on more products, more subscriptions just to see how they are? They've got time to sort of test out the competition. Doesn't that pose a threat to Netflix? I don't think it's an existential threat. Uh, as I say, Netflix has long uh, established itself as a generalist service, something for everyone, uh, you know, ever-rolling stream of content, uh, COVID-19 uh, subject, obviously. Uh, but, you know, not all of these new services that we're expecting to come are uh, being driven by a company like Disney. Disney, has, as we know, completely changed its entire corporate strategy to focus on streaming. Um, and uh, not every company can do that. Not every company is Disney, clearly. Um, but some of the other services that are coming, HBO Max, Peacock, etc., these services are, uh, we think that they're going to take a more, a slightly different approach Whereas Netflix is a standalone online video service only that you go, you know, everyone knows how to subscribe to Netflix. But these other services are, are likely to launch with traditional TV distributors, with operator partners being sold to consumers uh, as part of promotions, perhaps bundled with broadband or mobile uh, bills. Uh, so it's going to, they're, they're sort of uh, launching on a, on a different segment let's say. So uh, we think there's going to be room for all types of services. Thank you very much for joining us today. Tony Gunnison with us, Principal Analyst at OMDR. I want to move on to Ericsson. Numbers just crossing from the company right at the forefront of delivering 5G infrastructure. The company saying uh, it uh, has seen no uh, material effects so far in their demand situation, but it is prudent to believe that the slowdown in the general economy may lead to some operators to delay investment programs. That is one of the key takeaway messages around this uh, from the company saying COVID-19 and actually taken by governments to slow down the spread and making our service delivery and supply harder due to lockdowns and travel restrictions in many countries. The uh, company says for 2020 they're estimating the RAND market to grow by 4%. However, for the second quarter, we expect somewhat lower than normal sequential sales growth there. Our uncertainty is impacting short-term growth negatively. Uh, the company has also uh, given us some numbers for network sales. 
they are at 35.1 SEK, uh, that's 35.1 billion, I should say, versus 33.5 billion, same time a year ago for the first quarter. So those numbers are decent. When it comes to the overall sales print, though, this is the headline figure at 49.8 billion Swedish versus 48.9 previously. So also going in the right direction. When it comes to what we are seeing from the company and its strategy, they say they are determined to come out of COVID-19 situation in a stronger competitive position. And our investments in R&D is a strategic cornerstone, which we will not sacrifice. You may recall that stepped up some of the investments, taking a slight hit to margin at the start of the year to try to accelerate 5G. So with that backdrop, of course, you've seen that declining economic conditions. Then the company says with their current visibility, they maintain their targets for 2020 and 2022. They expect a larger share of the contracts to weigh on profitability in the second quarter rather than being evenly distributed over the year. So uh, the company has also got some 5G contracts in China too, where they have been successful. So we will be talking to the company and the CEO, Boya Aircomb, a little bit later on at 8.15 CET about what they see. But of course, uh, many of us, as we see, stepped up usage of telecommunications at this time with more remote working, as we just heard from Netflix, more consumption by retail customers. What does it mean around those investment decisions as many of the, the key corporates may remain challenged over the next year or so? Well, let me take you to what we're seeing on the U.S. markets today after another week's session weathered by investors yesterday. A little bit of green just starting to appear on futures early on, suggesting some calm. But let's uh, take a look at that action yesterday as we saw the major averages all in reverse for a second session. More sizable losses, which has given us a lot of red ink so far for this week. For the Dow, Apple having the most negative impact. For the other two majors, it was Microsoft hitting the likes of the S&P and the Nasdaq. But uh, the reverse, I think, interesting because you saw even some of the winners that investors have been picking over. The likes of Amazon that has soared to an all-time high in recent weeks. That stock was knocked, uh, given the risk-off mood that we saw around the oil price being one of the key triggers this time, as investors said, well, wait a minute, if the demand story is so bad there and investors are now turning oil into a negative trade, what about us? We're across the markets. Should we be more cautious? And I think when it comes to the news flow, mixed messages too. Investors interpreting news of lockdowns being lifted as a positive. Now there are concerns that maybe those plans are too aggressive and it could trigger a second wave of infections, which would be negative for the U.S. economy. But on top of that, as we look at that green on the charts, U.S. Uh, Senate has pushed ahead with plans to uh, effectively approve a $484 billion uh, relief package. This is the latest measure. It will move on to the lower house for approval elsewhere across the markets. Uh, this is how Asia has been responding to that news flow of more stimulus. You can see modest ranges to the downside for Australia, China, Hong Kong, a bigger fall for the Japanese stock market, perhaps reflecting some of those safe haven flows too for the Japanese yen. When it comes to what we're seeing on Brent and WTI, I'm more red ink and just worth noting that once almighty and powerful energy sector in the States has dropped so much, uh, the market cap is now worth about half of Microsoft's market cap. Uh, and what we've got, you can see on the charts today, Brent, uh, we fell below $20, $16.34. That plunged 15% in the price. On uh, the June contract now, you can see a slide of 7%. 
level $10.73. And on July, as we kick it out a little bit further on that, that duration, it is also trading weaker. But uh, we saw in trade yesterday that May contract, as it expired, it gained more than 100%. But as we saw a plunge in the June contract, the two started to meet closer together. Speaking to CNBC, U.S. Energy Secretary Dan Brillet said his aim is to ensure oil producers get access to federal funding amid the current crisis. We wanted to make sure that we can get these guys some uh, availability to this liquidity that's being provided by the Congress and by the Treasury Department. Uh, I don't know that they've been specifically uh, excluded in some cases. We just want to ensure that they are, to the extent they can be included. Um, you know, with regard to bank loans and things like that, you know, we want to ensure that they're not being, uh, you know, discriminated against in some respects. We have some banks, we've already heard some stories about banks who don't want to uh, lend to fossil fuel uh, industry uh, players. So huge swings on the energy market. I think it was interesting. Uh, one of the reports that crossed yesterday, Pierre Andron, who has been a huge player in the oil market, the hedge fund, they were one of the funds that made money. The core fund at Underant Capital uh, holds roughly half of the firm's assets, gained more than 63% for the year, Steve. So uh, we got a sense of one of the winners out there in the first quarter around oil. Yeah. You'll, you'll excuse me if I don't celebrate one hedge fund doing well when, well, A, the hedge fund industry is being wiped out at the moment. As we know, data shows three quarters of them are losing money. Uh, and two, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in the energy sector, Karen, are losing their jobs. So I won't celebrate Pierre Andron uh, like you at the moment, if I may. I just want to talk about the fundamentals out there as well. And according to Ampreet Singh of Barclays in the latest piece of research that has uh, uh, come through my uh, inbox as well, 40 to 50 percent chance of the June contract going to zero is being priced into the market as well at the moment. Now, over at Barclays, they think that actually the scenario of getting to zero won't necessarily be the case, and actually demand will trough in the month of April. But what started off as a problem with Cushing for May delivery, uh, as you quite rightly saying, has been expanded out uh, to concerns not only about the June contract of WTI, but also, as you can see, with the tumultuous declines we're seeing on Brent as well, uh, huge concerns about global storage as well, which seems absolutely extraordinary given the huge amount of global storage that is available for that product. Also, a lot of stories going around about the Saudi strategy as well and whether Saudi will be forced to actually shut in some of its own production, uh, given the fact that it just cannot find the buyers. Back to you. Yeah, I wouldn't say celebrating. It was more of a wry smile I had there because we know at this point in time, what you see on the market is very much for sophisticated investors, the size of those swings yesterday. I was asking the question, who was making money when you had that three 100% swing in one session. And I think it's interesting to know it's not just, it's not retail investors. It's, it's the people that know the ins and outs of every little bit of that oil market were the ones that were cleaning up in uh, that session yesterday. Coming up on the show, Gucci gets hit hard by coronavirus. Find out what owner Caring thinks about the outlook for the key market, China. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out The Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, The Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse.
in corporate news, Caring has posted a 15.4% drop in first quarter sales, with its biggest brand, Gucci, taking an even harder hit. The French luxury group has also cautioned over positive signs in the Chinese market, saying it is too early to judge the rebound. Let's get out to Charlotte for more. Charlotte, uh, we've spoken about lumpy earnings in the past for a number of corporates, but that's usually by jurisdiction or by product mix, not by month. It felt as though when Gucci and uh, Kerry were breaking down the numbers yesterday, you know, January, good start, contrasting month in February, deteriorating situation in March. It feels as though every month is going to be different in the short term. You're right, and that's why they've, they've struck in this cautious note say, saying it's a bit early to make any provisions and see what's coming next. Uh, but as you mentioned, Gucci, of course, incredibly important for Kering. Uh, they represent about 80% of operating profit uh, just last year for the company. And they said that sales, uh, their organic sales went on 23.2%. Um, but for other brands, though, they said, for example, Saint Laurent was down 14% and Bottega Veneta up 8.5%. So these two brands have a little bit less exposure in Asia, hence less of an impact the epidemic for the beginning of the year. Q2 might be a different picture, but for the beginning of the year, very much Gucci and the Chinese consumer there, of course, uh, given the lockdown, the epidemic there, uh, having an impact on the sales uh, for Kering. Um, but they said they've seen some encouraging signs uh, at the beginning of April, um, in particular in China. So it's too premature uh, to say how quickly the rebound will be in China, but they've seen some positive signs uh, starting to appear. Um, they say, however, in the US and Europe, um, they don't expect any meaningful recovery until June or July. So looking at the future, they're saying they're wait, waiting and see how the situation goes, how quickly or slowly the lockdowns will be lifted uh, in Europe. Uh, they say at the moment, two thirds of their stores worldwide are still shut. Uh, shut. Um, so the big question they're forgetting also is, of course, when can they restart production, in particular in Italy, a lot of their workshops there. Uh, they're hoping they can reopen soon, especially to meet the, the demand is starting to come back from China. So they're working on inventories and on stocks, moving things across regions and across channels to try to meet this demand is starting to trickle back in. Um, and of course, in the light of, of this environment, um, they decide to they're to cutting some costs and also they've cut dividend by about 30 percent. So that's very much in line with what a competitor LVMH did just last week. Uh, so cutting dividend down 30 percent. Uh, so yes, like for like sales overall down 16 percent Remember that Kering had warned uh, already at the end of March that sales were impacted around that range. So meeting here expectations, uh, sales for Kering have been down about 16% since the beginning of the year. Of course, the luxury sector very much exposed uh, to the Chinese consumer and tourism. And while these two channels have been impacted at the beginning of the year and still will be impacted in Q2, uh, Kering, they're seeing some encouraging signs of demand coming back from China but cautious on how quick this demand can come back and what the impact can be from North America and Europe. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.